Before we get into this episode, we want to say thanks to the North Face for sponsoring the 2020 FKT of the Year Awards for North America. If you have been paying attention to what the North Face runners like Caitlin Gerben and Pau Capel were wearing during their FKT attempts this year, you'll know something special is coming from the North Face. Effective arrives January 26, 2021. Now let's hear from the North Face's own Hillary Allen, guest presenting this week with our host, Buzz Burrell. Welcome back, everyone, to the Fastest Known Podcast. This is a special year-end podcast where we talk about all the horrible and terrible things that happened due to the global pandemic. No, 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 we're actually not going to do that at all. Everybody else is doing that, but no, that's not what we're going to do. Instead, it's been an amazing year. I'm just blown away by what's happened this year. And so we're going to hear from some of the best FKTs that were set in North America. And it's not going to be about the numbers. It's going to be about the people and the stories. So here's how this works. We start off by counting down, so to speak, with the number five FKT of the year, then the number three, then the number two. And then next week, releasing on January 8th, we have the number two and the number one. We always go ladies first. We're polite types here. But interestingly enough, there was an amazing three-way tie in the woman's side of things. So there is no number five uh, female FKT of the year. Instead, we're going to start with the men, and then we'll revert to the ladies first. So it's going to be a little bit longer, but keep in mind, it's just people telling their stories. And I've heard a few of them already. They're just insanely good. And to make them even more sprightly, so you don't have to listen to me for a long period of time, we have Hillary Allen here. Thanks so much for helping out on this one, Hillary. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm part of the FKT of the Year voting committee, and I love seeing the submissions. We had a ton of good ones, and it was almost—it was nearly impossible to to like narrow this down between the winners. So, yeah, it's been a super fun process. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to kind of help you uh, announce it, co-announce it with you um, to everyone. And who do we are we hearing from first? Yeah, so we're gonna kick it off with. Our number five FKT of the year on the men's side, Adam Kimball. And yeah, he's going to tell us about what he got up to. Um, you know, this little route that kind of got a lot of attention this year, um, the Tom, the Dahau Rim Trail. Um, so, and just some, just to kind of like, you know, pat Adam's back before he takes us away with it. Um, this was a supported effort, but this is a burly route. And he was on a longer a longer in, in, as term of miles. Um, he was an hour and 20 minutes faster than Killian Journey's time um, from 11 years ago. So congratulations, Adam. And yeah, thanks for being with us here today. Yeah. Thanks so much, Hillary and Buzz. I appreciate it. It was, uh, yeah, this was a really special, special year for me. I, I was really excited to go after the, the Tahoe Rim Trail. I'd actually, I don't know if you were aware of this, but I'd completed the trail in 2019, but didn't uh, set the FKT and use that as a perfect kind of recon run to uh, to learn a lot, realize where I made some mistakes, where I could uh, make some corrections, especially like cr- with crew related stuff. And yeah, and ended up working out this year. It's a, uh, for those of you that aren't aware, it's an iconic uh, route circumnavigating Lake Tahoe. It's funny because the actual lake of Tahoe, if you're just driving the road, is only about 72 miles, but the Tahoe Rim Trail is uh, just over 170. So 
Um, it goes kind of out and around on all the trails and, uh, and it's, it's a world-class route. So I was, I was really fired up to, to go after it and, um, really excited to now have the FKT held by a, a Tahoe local. So that was pretty fun. Yeah. Tahoe local. That's good. Uh, and of course people took note, Killian is the best mountain runner of his generation. So when you best his time, people are going to raise their eyebrows. Uh, the scenic route, 170 miles by a local. That's very cool. I, we really appreciate that. And Adam, the TRT has become really competitive. There is six FKTs just this year alone, plus a lot more attempts than that. So why are people getting on the TRT? What's special about it? Yeah, you know, so first of all, it's uh, I, I'm I, obviously I'm a little bit biased having lived here now for <clears throat> for a little over four years, but it is. Um, I mean, you're going to see some of the absolute most beautiful trails and views that you've ever seen in your life. It's, uh, you know, the, the entire trail is, you know, the average elevation is probably in the like 7,500 to 8,000 feet range, um, tops out at about 10, four relay peak is the highest point in a TRT, but there's so many kind of open ridge lines where you're running and literally have an unobstructed view of, um, you know, one of the deepest Alpine lakes in North America, second deepest actually to Crater Lake in Oregon. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's phenomenal. It's so beautiful. Um, about 28,000 feet of vert for the entire 170 plus miles. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where you're, there's lots and lots of climbing and undulation and, and that kind of adds to, to, uh, making it such an epic trail. And I think, Maybe part of the the allure of it is, first of all, uh, our community in this area is is an amazing trail running you know area, and and there's there's lots of wonderful races around here. You know, the Tahoe Rim Trail is uh, like a ten minute drive from um, where Western States begins um, over in Alpine Meadow, Squaw Valley, and so it's uh you know I think like just all of that together creates this. Um, this sort of allure of this world-class trail that a lot of people hike, but also connection to the trail running community and some really well-known and well-established races there. Yeah. I mean, so did you have any problems? I mean, obviously from a recon sense, like you've done the trail before, so you kind of know the route. I think that definitely, that, that, that helps, um, especially even on a long route like that, because you kind of remember, but um, as far as this year with, you know, the pandemic and like the forest fires, especially in California, um, I know a good friend of mine, Corinne Malcolm, who was out there, you know, she, she got the, the women's FKT on the Tahoe Rim Trail, but did you have any sort of, uh, you know, problems with like attempting it, uh, due to closures? Yeah, thankfully. So I, I was, I was fortunate. I actually, uh, I came out and supported and ran just a couple short miles with Corinne, uh, during her FKT. So that was great. But um, if you know her story, you know that she went through yeah. the ringer just trying to get to start her FKT, yeah. um, having to reschedule it like three different times. But uh, for me, I was I was fortunate in the sense that the pandemic actually made me do it at a time I wouldn't have normally done it. Um, mm -hmm. Typically, as far as weather and ideal conditions, the fall is the best time to do it. And so if you look historically at the record, most of the FKTs have taken place um, in the fall, with the exception of some of the the unsupported records, those can, you know, um, that's a little more uh, up to the up to the person and, and what they're, you know, what they value. But as far as supported temperature and, and uh, precipitation and all these things tend to be better in the in the fall months. September is probably the, the most ideal month. Um, but for me, because of the pandemic, I was supposed to run the, the Tahoe Rim Trail 100 mile race. 
And that got canceled. And since that got canceled, I ran the TRT on the same weekend that uh, that race was supposed to take place. So it was kind of just like a, a trade off for me. I was already going to run on part of the trail. Why not make it the whole thing? Um, and so so I was really fortunate from the sense that I did it in July. The fires got uh, quite a bit worse about a month after that. Um, and then there was trail closures and things related to uh, to the smoke and, and all the things going on after that. So I really actually sort of lucked my way into doing it at the right time. Um, it's a little hotter in July. You know, the first time I attempted it was in October. Um, so quite a bit hotter. But the, the biggest trade-off is that you get a lot more daylight um, in July than you do in October. So that was huge for me. Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, that's definitely its own challenges because of water and support team and all that kind of stuff. Um, did you experience any sort of, you know, dehydration and sleep deprivation delirium because of that? Yeah, you know, the the so the best the best thing about me doing it the first time was that the thing that I screwed up, even though it was in October, was the hydration aspect. So I missed um, my I missed my crew um, about 50K in and I was without food and fuel for about two and a half hours. Um, and that ended up, it didn't set in until a couple hours later, but that ended up crushing me for a much longer period of time. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of, this time around knowing it was going to be hotter and knowing that was the biggest mistake the first time I was doing everything in my power to isolate that variable and make sure we had it covered. So I enlisted the help of as many friends as possible to not only pace me, but meet me at different areas of the trail to resupply with water. Um, and that's the, the amazing thing about, about FKTs. And I know you, you guys uh, have both already spoken a lot about this on previous podcast episodes, but um, speaking to, you know, so many other of the athletes, uh, you know, um, Candice Burt, Kyle Curtin, Helen Pelster, other athletes that have done unsupported uh, Tahoe Rim Trail records this year. It's been amazing talking to them and hearing how much different it was for them because they had to deal with all these things, but by themselves, I, I could ask a friend to come hike up on the trail and give me water. They're trying to figure out how they can go another 30 miles just with what they have on them, you know? Um, so it's well, that's that a good point, Adam. I, I noticed this in your trip report, which is really came across because there's these three different styles, self-supported, unsupported and supported. And sometimes people say, well, one's better than the other, but you went supported, obviously, as you just described, but that actually can add an element to it. At least for someone like you, I'm going to quote you if you don't mind, sure. you wrote, Thanks to everyone who made this experience such an unforgettable one. Your love and support amazes me, and I'm eternally grateful for it. So I was moved by that. So you had your friends, your family there, and it added to the experience. It did, yeah. You know, for me, in addition to um, like, like one of the reasons I, I like all of, I've actually done FKTs in all three styles, um, and my I, the reason I love supported is. Uh, the biggest reason I love support is, is that it allows you to involve the people that you love that, that want to support you. And, uh, and that was, to me, it was a total um, come togetherness of that. And, and the people in this community that, that know me and are a big part of my life, um, doing everything they could to be a part of it, whether it was hiking up water on the trail, pacing me, being at a, an aid station, or even coming to the finish. I had several friends show up in masks. We had a, a you know, a lot, two rows of people lining the bridge coming into Tahoe City, all masked up and and uh, there to cheer me on. So that stuff is really special. But then, you know, the flip side of that buzz is that it it you know when I was so exa for example, Helen Pelster, she set the uh, in, in a matter of like two weeks, three different women broke the unsupported Tahoe Rim Show record. Helen was the second one before Candace, and I talked to her 
Um, and you know, her, her response to me was, I couldn't imagine going as fast on the trail as you did. And my response to her was, I couldn't imagine going that far by myself, you know? (laughs) So, so like the difficulty can be measured in a number of ways. And I think that's what makes the FKT community so cool. Well, so well said, Adam. I think let's say, let's say that you are representing the Tahoe Rim Trail community very well. Like we said, <laughs> six FKTs, you're in the top 10, and uh, you speak for all of them, I think. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, both. I, I really, really appreciate your attitude. It's lovely. <laughs> thank you. That means a lot. Um, And I have one more question. Do you Did you have any... I mean, I think it's like you said, it's magical to be able to have people that you love out there supporting you when you're kind of just like, you know, pushing your limit. Did you have any kind of memorable or magical moments out there on the trail? Yeah, you know, so there, there's two things uh, that come to mind. The first one, um, running through the nighttime, I, I was fortunate, again, because of so much daylight, I only had to run through one nighttime. Um, that was the most difficult part for me. I was, you know, it's even when you're moving well, um, the energy starts fading. There's not as many people around. There's no one on the trail any longer. And those kind of things start to add up a little bit. So I was starting to feel like, my, you know, am I falling off the pace? Am I kind of losing losing my mojo here? And, and having a pacer with me, um, you know, I had a couple of my friends with me. That was like really important to keep my head in it because, I, you know, I'm saying, guys, I'm not I'm not feeling this. I don't know if this is going so well. And they're like, no, you're moving good. This is great. If this is your low moment, everything's going to be OK. So um coming out of the nighttime into the first aid station, which for me was at Echo Lake, about 120 miles in, that was a big turning point for me because like an hour before that, I had felt like it wasn't going to happen. And then coming into that aid station, everything started changing. The sun had come up. My crew was there. I started feeling differently. um, And I noticed things kind of starting to click. So that was kind of a big moment for me. And then about 15, 20 miles after that, this is actually really cool. A friend of mine, um, his name is Jacob Cooper. He was just by himself doing an unsupported lap of the TRT just for his own um, accomplishment, like not not to do anything other than to just do it himself. Um, And I passed him at Dick's Pass, which was about 50K from the finish. And uh, so he was going in the opposite direction. So we we literally passed each other on the trail, um, doing the same thing in different fashions. And and Jacob asked me how I was doing. And I told him... um, I, I'm looking at the splits and I think if I just keep up this pace, I'm going to break the record. And that was the first time it really hit me that I've just got to, I don't even have to speed up. I just got to keep doing what I'm doing and I can make it happen. And so I'll always remember that moment that I shared with him. And so will everyone listening to this, you made it happen, Adam. Congratulations on the number five male FKT of the year. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Let's move directly into the women now. And wow, what a field we have. This is amazing. We didn't do the number five woman because there is insanely a three-way tie for number four. We're going to start with a pro herself, a person who's been on this podcast before, and who is our number four female, Hillary? This is Alyssa Alyssa Gadeski, and she's here with us today to tell us about the Adirondack 46, the high peaks that she did uh, over there. And so this is in New York state and I'm going to let you take it away, Alyssa, because this is a gnarly route. I have never been to Adirondacks, but, um, I hear they're insanely technical. Can you just, yeah, walk us through this route and this FKT. Oh yeah. You have to, you have to come check it out sometime because it is quite special. So 
There in upstate New York um, are 46 high peaks. It's a kind of a historical list. It's changed a bit, I guess, now that people have really dug into the height of the mountains. But the, the 46 list is, is what it is. It's set in stone and um, above 4,000 feet. So, you know, for people out west used to like really high mountains in, in elevation, it doesn't sound like much, but you're right. It's um, super technical trails and just kind of an environment like most people haven't seen until they get to the Adirondacks. And so um, with the with the high peaks, you get to create your own route, which was a really fun aspect of the FKT for me. And so uh, I picked a route that ended up being about 160 miles, and it had over 65,000 feet of vert within that. Um, oh and so... God. It definitely, you know, I had my hands full, um, but it was it was super fun to have that aspect of it out there. Um, there's uh, there's definitely some well traveled trails in the Adirondacks, and then there's also a large portion of what's called herd paths. So you know, not officially maintained trails, but now are are used quite frequently by people hiking the high peaks. And so you know, it's for the most part, you know, you could still call it a trail. And then I got to do a good bit of bushwhacking and navigation with this one too. So I had that fun added in and it was a little bit of everything. So well, how do you go about like, um, like scouting a route like this? Cause it is, like you said, it's an, oh, it's an open course. You get to kind of decide which direction did you, I know this is an established route, but did you, um, talk to a bunch of people or did you just have fun kind of like piecing the route together for yourself? Um, so there is a there's a decent amount of historical data um, from the men who had done the record attempts before. So Jan Welford, Ryan Atkins, um, Cave Dog, Ted Kaiser, I guess, you know, um, there's always that information. You know, we're very fortunate now online that you can look up a lot of that information. And uh, especially with like Ryan's attempt last year, um, you know, he had the, the GPX files and the Strava data and things like that you could really dig into. Um, so I did a lot of that. Um, Jan Welford was also a great resource for me. And he had the record for, for some time until Ryan got that. Um, and then I just, you know, from there, I really kind of studied maps, pieced together what I thought. And then I took a few training trips up there over the course of a year to scout out the routes and a lot I would do and be like, yep, that's going to work. And some I did and was like, that's not going to work. You know, like <laughs> I had some bushwhacking sections in mind that I like, we, you know, my, my boyfriend was with me and we got there and we're like, yeah, we're not even going to attempt this. Like we'll be in the woods for a week if we try and get down there. So, um, you know, you had to do a little bit of research and then just kind of go for it yourself and, and see what worked. Um, you know, it, uh, it's, yeah, I think it's a little different for anyone who's out there. Yeah. Well, that's a good call there, Hillary, because this is indeed what we call an open course. So Alyssa got a chance to plan her route. You have to summit all the peaks, but you get to do it in any order you want. You can start and finish from any place you want. And so the planning, the logistics are an important aspect of this. It is. Yeah. And so you have, you know, I did the supported attempt. So I had a crew um, and with COVID precautions, I, I wanted to keep it as lean as I possibly could. Um, and just, you know, make sure the essential people were out there and kind of cut out some of the fluff that you might have in a supported attempt otherwise. And, uh, you know, so that meant I had to just be really mindful of that stuff and using people and the crew, their strengths for certain sections. I did some parts alone just to do a, a few link ups, you know, that I felt comfortable with. And that really allowed the crew to logistically just keep it simple and safe, you know, mm -hmm. for in this year. 
And so what was your, did you have any kind of like, oh shit moments or <laughs> like anything that happened on the trail? You're just like, oh gosh, because you're out there, you know, for three and a half days or three, you know, three, three days, three quarters, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I did this. So in two years prior, I did the long trail. And I think the the stark contrast between the two was just how I handled the sleep deprivation. And so, you know, I think that I had... I don't even know if I practiced it more or like really just kind of wrapped my mind around what sleep deprivation does to you and what it felt feels like. And I was so much more ready for that going into this that, um, you know, I, I don't think I had those moments because I just, it didn't catch me off guard. And I think looking at like my long trail attempt, I had more of those kind of moments because I was just so flustered with some of the, the things I was feeling for the first time and how that felt to do it. Um, and I, you know, I also think this attempt was kind of keeping me more focused and like on top of my game the whole time, because I was racing Sarah Kai's out there the whole time, you know, and we didn't, you have zero cell phone service in the Adirondacks. So there were not many updates of kind of how the competition was shaking out. We were on different routes. Um, you know, we crossed paths once, which was great, but it's still anyone's guess as to kind of who was going where and that sort of thing. So I think that really helped me like stay focused and stay in the moment. And, you know, it's, it's kind of that feeling when you're in a, a true race situation, like you see your competitors and you're like, well, they're out there, they're still going. So I got to keep it together and, and <laughs> keep going too. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good point. And I think people might not realize that you and Sarah Kai started at the same time. And since it's an open course, it's really kind of fun because you started at different locations and you may or may not even pass each other over 46 summits. I think you did run into each other once. It's like, hi, how are you doing? (laughs) But one of the voters did comment. A voter said, quote, I liked how Gadeski raced it against Sarah Kai's. And so I think people like this and it's sort of surprising that more people don't do FKTs at the same time. You know, I was, I am surprised too, because I think, you know, uh, I, I don't know if someone, anyone else who's really done it to the extent that you start kind of at the same time or the same day and, and go head to head like that. And it is fun. Like there's definitely pros and cons. And I think, um, you know, some of the cons is just, Uh, self-imposed pressure that comes with that kind of thing if anything you know um it just it can add a lot of that for people but it was it was exciting I think Sarah and I both decided to embrace it and just go for it and help kind of make make some lemonade out of the lemons that 2020 had been giving us race-wise so um it was it ended up being a lot of fun and you also mentioned the uh, long trail from 2018, for which you were the number one female FKT of the year in 2018. Congratulations again for that. And we will put that link in the show notes. So listeners, go to the written show notes. You'll find links to Alyssa's bio and the two podcasts you've been on already, things like that. Better information in writing. But uh, you already touched on this a little bit, but the long trail, the A46s, it's a little bit different there. So you, you said you already had adjusted to the sleep deprivation. So that didn't hit you like a ton of bricks this time. But anything else? How else might have this one been different? This was a lot more remote type, backcountry type of experience for me. And, you know, the long trail, it's, <laughs> it's the long trail, right? You follow the white blazes, 273 miles, and you get a little, you know, 
tired and your crew just keeps pointing you south. <laughs> so, um, you know, this was different because, you know, I had to feel comfortable with my experience and being more remote and the route that I had picked. And, you know, my crew hadn't really memorized the route to the extent that I did. I would be kind of the leader in that sense for some of the sections. So, um, that was really different for me. And even just being on even more technical terrain sometimes, you know, um, than I, I had ever experienced. I didn't grow up in a mountain environment and, um, you know, found this stuff as an adult. And so it's taken me years to get myself outside, get experience, feel comfortable with it and feel comfortable enough to be able to race, you know, in that environment. And so that's just, that's one of the things I think has been really neat in this year in general. And like looking at the list of other women who were in the nomination field, it's like women are just are really doing cool things in the mountains, you know, supported and unsupported. And um, I just, you know, I hope people are hearing me that I haven't always been experienced and known what I was doing out there and had the skill set. Like I've, I've worked over the course of, of years to develop that. And I still have so far to go. And Hopefully that will align with, you know, some some future bucket list trails to go after. Yeah, what are those bucket list trails? I mean, uh, like in the, I guess in FKT, FKT style. And yeah, do you like the the longer kind of multi-day? I So, you know, I've been testing, I guess the long trail was five days. This was three and a half days. And so, you know, I, I do like the multi-day. Um, I'd be curious to see how I do at something like a week and longer, you know, um, for sure. But I also had a lot of fun with the route planning here. Like that aspect of the route as your own is really cool. So, um, you know, there's like the cat skills, there's stuff in Vermont, there's all sorts of stuff you can kind of link up. And I think as I get more comfortable, I'd like to, to try some of that. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how how it goes and what, what racing happens in 2021, but I'm always looking at this stuff regardless of races. So. <laughs> well, Alyssa, you once described yourself as a professional triathlete with an ultra running habit <laughs> and uh, your habit has become pretty strong as Hillary asked. And so up in your neck of the woods, you know, the Prezi, the Pemi loop, things like that. I mean, is that your speed or those just too short? It's probably too short for me to really do you know, that competitively. Um, but I would, you know, the New Hampshire 4,000 footers, you know, those 48 are definitely ones I've looked at that kind of thing. And I think my strength, it seems like comes in when it's just multi-day and like durability and being able to just keep trucking along, you know, when you're sleep deprived, when you're, you're tired and things like that. And I, I do think that's kind of a different skill set than the, the Pemi loop or something like that. Okay, good call. Well, Alyssa, I, I think you're going to become a regular on the show here. So this is terrific. Uh, uh, and we probably are going to hear from you again in 2021. But congratulations again on the Adirondack 46ers. Well done. Thanks so much, Buzz. Good to talk to you, Hillary. Yeah, you too. Well, this is remarkable. I just have to note that it is indeed a three-way tie for fourth place among the ladies. And people think, well, what, did you just make it come out like that? No. The voters voted like that. This is how close all these are. Uh, 31 people voted, and the three came out with the exact same number of votes. Don't you think that's a little remarkable? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if this is the – I mean, I've been on the FKT the Year Voting Committee for a while, and I think this is the first time this has happened 
trend buzz, you can tell me, but I mean, we've got a lot of voters. And so it's like really indicative of the, and representative of like the community as a whole, as far as style, length, kind of um, just these different routes are happening. So I think it's, it's awesome. I mean, it was really hard for me to choose and narrow down my favorites. So I think it's awesome that actually there's a that there's a three-way tie for fourth place. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually how I looked at it as well. And this is even more interesting. Of all, that turns out to be six then because of the tie. So the top five are composed of six. And all six of them received first place votes. And indeed, and the next person we're going to hear from right now, uh, she received three voters considered this one the best one. <laughs> and who are we talking to now? Yeah, so uh, it's awesome. We have Caitlin Gerben here with us today to talk about her FKT on the Wonderland Trail. Thanks for joining us, Caitlin. Yeah, thanks so much, Hillary and Buzz. It's awesome to be on the call with you guys. Yeah, so, okay, so take us through why, well, I mean, I know your saga with the Wonderland Trail, but why is it such a cool route? And why were you so passionate about doing this FKT and like, what is the Wonderland Trail? Yeah, so the Wonderland Trail is in Washington State, and it circumnavigates Mount Rainier. So Mount Rainier is the tallest point in the state. It's a volcano, super glaciated, really popular to climb um, in technical mountaineering route. And so the Wonderland Trail covers about 93 miles and something like 24 or 25,000 feet of elevation gain. Um, and there's a mix of you know some runnable sections, but also a lot of really technical ter- terrain. Um, And kind of like as is very similar and kind of, um, you know, just the terrain covering the distance around volcanoes tends to be a lot of really, really steep ups and downs as you're kind of crossing all of these um, glacial rivers. And so there's these deep ravines that you're kind of constantly going up, down, up, down as you're making your way around the mountain. Um, But one of the cool things about this trail is because there's so many sections that are pretty remote. Um, there's the main visitor centers that are pretty popular for tourists to get to around Mount Rainier, but you know, you're covering the entire distances between those. So there's a lot of, um, you know, kind of pristine wilderness around Mount Rainier, which is a really, really fun thing to experience, especially um, on a, on an FKT attempt. And Caitlin, you know, Mount Rainier, because it turns out you're a repeat offender. You and your partner, Alex, were FKT, number five FKT of the year last year for the fabled Rainier Infinity Loop. So, wow, you know this mountain. Near Infinity Loop means you climb it twice plus going around the Wonderland Trail. Oh, my gosh. And also, you're an accomplished racer, a member of the North Face team. So you kind of do it all. What what am I uh what do you have to say about this? You you did the infinity loop, you race fast races, and now you did the Wonderland Trail. So you you have the combo ability. Yeah, I mean I, I think like a lot of it just comes back to my love of the sport and moving through the mountains. And one of the things that got me into this in the first place was just kind of the amazement of where your own two feet can take you. Um, when when you get the fitness and the knowledge to kind of travel through different terrain. And so I've always really loved balancing, um, you know, alpine routes and mountaineering and off-trail adventures along with my racing. And I think this year in particular, as 
races, you know, were shutting down and travel was restricted. I really wanted to stay local. And so it allowed me to really just dive into some routes that I've wanted to do for a long time, just in my backyard. And yeah, like you said, Mount Rainier is kind of near and dear to my heart. If anyone's been to Seattle or, or Washington state in general, you know, that Mount Rainier is like this iconic peak in the skyline that you can just see from everywhere. And so when I first even moved out to Washington about 10 years ago, I was just like struck by Mount Rainier and I'm like, wow, I want to, I want to go see that place sometime. And then, you know, over the years that I've been here, I've climbed it a number of times. I've run, I've run some of the trails on it. I've, I've skied and snowboarded there. And then I've also, as you mentioned, did the Rainier Infinity Loop last year. And so I just have this kind of connection to that landscape. And I think the Wonderland Trail was something that I've always wanted to either backpack or fast pack or run. And I remember when Jen Shelton set the record on it in 2015, I was just getting into trail running and I knew of Jen Shelton and had always kind of looked up to her and respected her. And so when she threw down a solid time on that trail five years ago, I was, you know, thinking like, oh, maybe someday I'll go after it. So I think like, Having having that connection to the space and knowing that it was in my backyard and finally having a, a summer that was clear of races where I could really like go after that was really special. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, well, to mention that, to kind of go off of that, you threw down the fourth fastest time ever on, on this route, like ever. Obviously, it was the fastest female time, but like of all the boys. So... <laughs> That's, I think that's super impressive. And as Buzz mentioned at the beginning of this, I think that's why that this this got several votes for kind of FKT of the year. Um, and it was so hard for people to decide because it was such a like stout route. Um, yeah. So, I mean, can you like, I think it's hard to kind of go, obviously in a race, you can be motivated and self-motivated, but sometimes in an FKT, if you're out there alone, your attempt was supported. So you were kind of meeting people around the way you had, you had pacers. Um, but how did you keep pushing throughout the whole thing? Yeah, that's a great question. It's something that's so different when you're doing, even if you have a supported effort, it still really has to be self-motivated. Um, and I think like, for one, I had people like a few friends meeting me to pace that I love running with and, and respect as, as runners and racers. And so that kind of helps add to it. Um, but ultimately, I think it just has to be something that you're passionate about and drawn to. And so I don't go after a ton of FKTs, but the ones that I do go after, I feel like I have a, a pretty deep connection to, and that helps me kind of stay motivated. Um, but then Another thing is that, you know, so I'm sure most listeners know that the Wonderland record, the supported men's time was also broken twice. And that happened uh, within a week of my attempt. So one of them was <laughs> by Dylan Bowman, another North Face teammate. Um, and I helped pace him for his effort. He came back to help support me, which was really cool. And then just, I think, a day before I ran my attempt, um, Tyler Green of Portland set another record on it. And so prior to Dylan's attempt, I, you know, the fastest time on the trail was Ryan Gelfie of uh, 1827, I believe. And so that was my, that's where I set my goals. Um, I didn't really tell a lot of people that because it's kind of one of those scary, big, audacious goals. But I thought that I had a shot of going after the, what was at the time, the overall record. 
Um, and you know, I didn't exactly expect it to drop by an hour and a half with uh, Dylan and Tyler, which is awesome. But, you know, I, I still, you know, I, I took Tyler and Dylan's efforts as kind of back pocket motivation, but I still have my eyes set on trying to chase Gilfie's record, um, which had, you know, stood for a while. And I think had been considered definitely in the community to be a really, really stout time on that, on that terrain. Wow, that <laughs> what a fun story that is. You came up just 14 minutes short of Ryan's time. So for a few days there, you had the second fastest time, as Hillary said, now the fourth fastest overall time. Wow, the Wonderland is just throwing down. <laughs> when I was uh, up in the first time, I was, well, not the first, the second time I was up in Mount Rainier, the Wonderland Trail had been done at all twice now, like you say, people are just getting after it. It's like the uh, presidential traverse is to New England. The Wonderland Trail is to the Northwest. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, it's like I said, like I, Mount Rainier is just such an iconic peak in in the Northwest. And there's a lot of really strong runners up here. Um, and I think like it's very common for people to go and fast pack that route in three days. And so every summer I have friends that are going and doing that. Um, I had a few friends that went and tried to do it in two days this year. Um, and so really, like, even if the FKTs aren't, aren't you know, getting chased every single year, or many times they are, but you don't hear about all the other runners locally who are just going after and having an experience on the trail. And there's a lot of really cool things happening out there. Nice. Well, um, you mentioned that the Wonderland has some technical sections, but did you just cruise those? Because I noticed that two weeks before this, you did the Ptarmigan Traverse, which is really different. There's um, there's not much running in the Ptarmigan. You're up on snow quite a bit. So was the technical sections of the Wonderland a cruise for you? Um, I mean, it it all kind of varies. I think I really like variety and terrain. Um, and so, you know, I, I train and, and prep on trails that have a, you know, a lot more technical kind of sections and stuff just in my backyard here. So yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad, I think, <laughs> but I, I guess w since you mentioned the Ptarmigan Traverse, I had quite an interesting uh, training leading up to Wonderland, which is a little bit actually very different from what I would normally do for a race effort and where I just mixed in a lot more of those kind of Alpine routes. Um, and I think getting you know, long days on that kind of technical terrain just helps helps with your mental game a lot. Um, and also makes, I think, some of the more technical sections of running trail feel maybe a little bit easier because you're still, you know, ultimately you're on a trail and you're not really worried about navigating and stuff as much. Yeah. I mean, and can you describe to what, like, what exactly it means for technical um, on a loop like the Wonderland Trail? Because I think there is kind of this idea that it's like forested, like nice, like nice single track trails. Um, but as you mentioned, it's a volcano, volcano. So there's kind of these like, like moraines you're going over and under. So um, yeah, what does that kind of technicality look like? Yeah, so that's a great question. So um, just for context, like the first section of the trail that I, that I ran is the 35 mile section um, from like Cougar Rock or Longmire area up to Mowich Lake. And that section has no access points. Um, there's one road that you can hike in that's like seven miles to get in. So basically it's like from trailhead to trailhead, it's 35 miles. And it is about 11 to 12, 12 I think 12,000 feet of climbing just in that section. Um, and 
there are certainly sections in the forest that are your kind of like dirt trail, but there's, it's pretty rocky and rooty even in the forest. Um, but then especially as you're getting kind of up on these like glaciated moraines, there's a lot of really loose, crumbly uh, rock with really steep drop-offs on, on either side of it. Um, and because sections like that are so remote, there's plenty of hikers that hike the Wonderland Trail, but it's not like it's getting a ton of day hiking action. Um, and then you're also crossing rivers constantly. Basically, every single climb and descent has a river crossing. And a few of those river crossings have established bridges, especially if they're close to trailheads. But otherwise, you're kind of navigating through these uh, either kind of wet log crossings or in some cases, you're kind of like jumping from rock to rock trying to figure out the best place to cross the river. So, yeah, it varies quite a bit. Well, your quote. Uh, I liked your quote on this, Caitlin. You wrote, saw a bear, some deer, snake, frog, a bunch of marmots, and did some fancy footwork to avoid stepping on a chipmunk. Wildflowers are off the charts right now. And here, here it comes, folks. Get ready to write this one down. A wonderful Wonderland Wednesday. <laughs> oh, man. It was. <laughs> Yeah, just a just a wonderful a wonderful Wednesday, a typical Wednesday. <laughs> oh no, but that's that's great. I mean, like, so I mean, besides the wildlife, uh, what was like your what was your overall highlight? Do you think? Um, for me, the highlight was just having all of the memories that I've had on different adventures on that trail and on the mountain come back to me as I was passing through certain sections. Um, a lot of those things, especially like during the infinity loop that I did last year, there was a lot of sleep deprivation involved. And so a lot of things I actually didn't remember, but as I got back onto the trail, I like would recognize the spot and just remember like, oh yeah, that's where that happened. Or, oh, I remember being here. Um, and because I've climbed uh, Rainier too, like being on different sections of the mountain and seeing the routes, like it's just, I think, like a really cool way to experience um, experience a landscape is to, to spend time moving around it and just be out there all day long. And, you know, I'm certainly like pushing and, and working hard, but I also definitely am like taking in the views and, and enjoying the experience too. Kaylin, this is two years in a row for you. I hope we hear from you again in 2021. And congratulations on the Wonderland Trail this year. Well done. Thank you so much. The third woman to tie for the FKT of the Year Award did the second longest route of anyone on this entire list. This one took over 10 days. Wow, this is super impressive. The voters were very impressed. Who is this, Hillary? <laughs> yeah, today we have Michaela Usler. Uh, she's here with us to tell us about her FKT on the Colorado Trail. So I'll let you take it away. Congratulations, Michaela. Thank you all so much. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Colorado Trail, 485 miles. Um, you know, I see a lot of different numbers for how much elevation you gain and lose, and I kind of didn't keep track of it, but somewhere in the like 85,000 to 100,000 feet of elevation gain, um, you go from Denver to, or well, it runs Denver to Durango or Durango to Denver. I did it from Denver to Durango. Um, Great route, goes through the San Juans, extremely beautiful. Well, Hillary, here's here's something that I know Hillary appreciates. Of the other two women, they were both, they did extremely fast and hard runs on some great routes. 
supported. Mm -hmm. You went classic through hiker style, Mm self-supported. And so just just to clarify for this, you can't do we could. We can't really do the Colorado Trail unsupported. That would mean carrying everything from start to finish. Jeff Garmier actually did that. But generally speaking, all through hikers like you did it self-supported, which simply means you have no one supporting you. Mm-hmm. It's just you, mm-hmm. just to be really clear. Only you, but you can go into town to resupply for food. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so that, that made a big difference, didn't it? Oh, huge difference, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I've, so I've done a lot of through hiking before. I did the Triple Crown um, in the last couple of years and I've done some smaller things. Um, so I, and my strategy has always kind of been to like wing it um, and, you know, like be in relatively good shape, have gear that I love, but just figure things out as they arise. And like a lot of problems arose that it was really helpful to be able to go into town or, you know, like strangers on the trail, like gave me things that I needed (laughs) when I was like bleeding or whatever. Um, And so, yeah, I I thought a lot about how challenging the unsupported FKT must be. And I'm just in awe of Jeff Garmier, John Zahori and all the people who've done unsupported FKTs on that trail. Well, you did, if I may here, because again, I read your entire trip report. Um, you went into the full sleep deprivation mode. I mean, you, it, it was it was one of these classic finishes where it was throwing it all down, you know, struggling. I, I, if I may say so, you can give us a better description yourself. But then you did yogiing. And yogiing is something that nobody else but a through hiker knows what that is. <laughs> I've done it myself a lot. But tell us what uh, the yogi maneuver is. Well, so the yogi maneuver, I don't know if I like consciously yogi, but I, I was yogiing out there. So it's sort of <laughs> when you um, are like, oh, gee, a beer would be so nice right now. And someone is like, oh, well, I have a beer. Um, So you just sort of make someone think it was their idea to help you. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I got a lot, you know, I I had these like awful blisters um, because I wore, I just, I was dumb. I just did dumb things like didn't wear my shoes big, you know, and didn't like leave room for my feet to swell. Um, And so you know, I had these awful blisters and I was like sitting beside a river on day like four or five, just feeling sorry for myself. And this woman gave me like wool to put on my blisters and, you know, just stuff like that where people, or yeah, like day two, I was walking down the hill with, and I had like fallen over in the night, the first night and my knee was like all bloody, but I kind of had forgotten about it. Um, and so this woman stopped me and was like, are you okay? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Um, but then, like, really wanted to give me some Band-Aids. So all that stuff that you couldn't really accept if you're on an unsupported FKT that I was very happy to take. Right. And, of course, the it's one of these fun through-hiker terms because it comes from Yogi the Bear, mm-hmm. you know, in Jellystone National Park. So well done, well done, uh, <laughs> Yeah, and of course, 10 days, 10 days, 12 hours. So a little bit of uh, trail magic really helped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was there were these people um, at Mullis Pass, like Mullis Lake, um, who I guess do, like, they were like following the bubble on the trail with this like sort of AT style extravagant spread, like a 
tent and pizza and a charging block and like got there and cried. And I was out of caffeine too. That was the thing. I was I was out like I hadn't really packed enough caffeine and was very deep into the sleep deprivation, but they had they and I was like asking them if they had anything caffeinated. They're like, No, he was a V eight. Um, and but finally they had I saw that they had these like salt pills with caffeine in them, but just like twenty five milligrams and I was like, That's fine, give me those and so they sent me on my way with a bunch of like tiny salt pills with caffeine. <laughs> oh my gosh. See, I love these little nuggets of like, um, I mean, 10 days, you can experience a whole lot. Did you have any, um, did you have any like bouts with weather or like wildlife or? Uh, no, <laughs> like it, it was perfect weather. Um, I was very, very lucky because I had this whole plan in my head that because I was doing the thing that string bean did on um, the long trail where you sleep in like shorter bursts and then hike through the night and then sleep again right before the morning. But I had this whole thing planned out where if there was ever an afternoon thunder shower, I was just going to set up my tarp and sleep through it and then hike all night. Um, but I only ever got the tiniest bit of thunder um, right south of, um, Oh, what's that ski area? Copper mountain or whatever. Anyways. Um, and, you know, it was like, night had just fallen so I thought I was out of the thunderstorm window and then I get up on the ridge and all of a sudden the ridge is illuminated with thunder with lightning and I was like oh no yeah. I had to duck into my shelter and sleep for a little bit yeah and I mean so the Colorado Trail I mean it, it traverses like you know pre-urban area you know Denver all the way to Durango it's a pretty diverse um you know traversing from you know, the Eastern slope to the Western slope of mm -hmm. the Rocky mountains. Um, what was your favorite part or could you see kind of like the changing of terrain as you, as you moved your way across? Yeah, I definitely could see the changing of terrain. And I think that's one of the really magical things about these longer multi-day through hikes um, is you watch the ecology change and like on a longer trail, like the AT or something like that, you watch like, you know, different, species of plants that fill the same ecological niche they're like you know the understory plants um and or like the species of squirrels change um so yeah I think my favorite part um let's see like right south of Breckenridge I did a section in the night where I was up on up on the ridge line in the full moon because I had the full moon during my hike and that was really special mm -hmm. and I was also I've always been really scared of the dark um and I just hiked at night because <laughs> I had to um and so yeah I think that section in the full moon and then the San Juans like I finally had my trail legs and I I did a lot of that as, at night as well and that was really magical well that's uh interesting comment isn't it Hillary <laughs> so she's afraid of the night she did most of her hiking at night but that's one of the themes that the the ladies I'm hearing from the ladies is is really growing past some fears and some limitations and just taking it on. And Michaela, you did this again solo, self supported, mm -hmm. and you did it over four days faster than the uh, fastest female self supported. Four days faster. That's a, a chunk. <laughs> well, okay. So I've talked with Olga a little bit about her AT, and she was kind of like, I knew that was pretty beatable um she was like go out there and try to do it in 12 days um and I kind of wanted to do it I mean I think my initial plan was 
you know, I just was like planning to do a 14 day Colorado trail because like that's sort of the speed I would hike at. So it wasn't until day two of this hike that I started to be like, well, what if I did it really fast <laughs> um, and just had a bad time for fewer days? Um, and that's, that's basically what I did. I don't know. I think, yeah, I, I don't think I had 10 and a half days as a goal in my mind, but it felt really good to get there when I did. Oh, that's awesome. And like, what was your, what was your strategy with, uh, with like sleep deprivation, like that kind of, um, yeah, for that, for that long of a time. I know you were obviously just like, you definitely felt it in your comments. You're just like, yeah, full on <laughs> like sleep deprivation was real. Um, but yeah. When did that start to kind of hit you and what was your strategy? Um, well, I think so. It, I guess day four, I had my first resupply box in Twin Lakes. Um, and I was pushing really hard to get to Twin Lakes before the general store closed so I could get my box. Um, and I just hiked all night um, to get there. So I think that day things definitely, I was in a bad mood, but then I slept a little bit after that <laughs> um, and had a couple more days. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I did use every once in a while, if I was really feeling bad, I would do the like five minute dirt naps to make myself feel a little better. Um, and, um, but I think, I'm trying to think which day, it was somewhere like in the middle, closer to the end. Um, you know, I stopped by a stream and took everything out of my pack uh, to like get wa water and poke some blisters and stuff and put everything back in and then didn't take my pack off for another 15 miles. And when I took it off the second time, like my sleeping pad was gone. Um, <laughs> And that was a moment where I was like, oh, this is, you're putting yourself in danger. You need to like slow down. And so then I like slept <laughs> four whole hours <laughs> um, to kind of reset a little bit. Um, yeah. And then after that, I just cried so much. Like I was just in a like, horrible mood. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh my god. All right. I'm sorry. I love this because it is. It's like all of these mountain adventures are they're amazing, but it's like there is a definite amount of suffering and I and I love that you're just honest with about it. Because like, you know, I've had like I mean certain experiences whether on a training run or a race or, you know, my own little, you know, multi-day adventure and yeah, like I'm kind of pissed or like a little bit upset like, you know, throughout throughout the day, but I don't know. Then it just feels so gratifying at the end. There's all like, like I call it like the emotional like intervals where you're like up and then you're super low. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I, mean, I have the ups. I have the ups too. Yeah, <laughs> of course. But it's like, it's also kind of funny. It's like, I would, yeah, like you see someone, you know, or just like some little thing and you're like brought to tears. But then I feel like these things make it even more, like more memorable and more special and more worth doing. Yeah, I definitely feel like I, I, um, you know, left it all on the field out there. <laughs> awesome. I agree completely. Uh, Michaela's honesty, emotional honesty, is a real delight. Makes the story even better than it already was. And listeners should go to the written show notes and click through because, Michaela, you wrote a pretty good trip report, which is on the Fastest Known Time website. So to get a little bit more of this, click through, go there, and it turns out that you're in a creative writing program in New Mexico, and you said that you have a memoir coming out. Well, that's a, that's that's the idea. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been doing a lot of writing about uh, my experiences as a woman, like, in 
through hiking context and in like endurance athletics context. So stay tuned. It's still sort of um, in the conceptual phase, but I do like write a book as part of this program. So I think a few hundred people are going to be looking forward to that book, Michaela. Me included. (laughs) (laughs) And so thank you again for taking your time to be with us. And congratulations on the Colorado Trail this summer. Very well done. Thank you both so much. Thank you for having me. Wow. That was quite, quite the sequence there, Hillary. The females, the women are really getting it done. They always have been getting it done. But now we're going to bounce back to the guy side of things. And we're going to go high and wild once again. Who is our male number four FKT of the year? Yeah, so I'm really excited to talk to him. Um, we have David Ayala uh, with the Sierra High Route in California. Congrats, David, for number four FKT of the year. Thanks. Thanks, you too. Nice to be here. Yeah, so um, I'm just going to kind of let you describe to us what is the Sierra High Route um, and what got you interested in it? Just yeah, kind of tell us about it. Sure. Yeah, uh, the Sierra High Route I, I think has a a pretty uh, a pretty cool backstory to it. As far as I understand, Steve Roper um, kind of designed it by spending years in the Sierras, and he shared it to the rest of us with a by making a book that sparsely discusses the route and even a little bit of impressions of his own. Um, so that kind of defined the Sierra High Route. Um, and it's been, you know, hiked since, uh, I first became aware of it, I think actually from Buzz and Andrew, uh, Skirka. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember if it was them literally telling me about it or if I, you know, uh, caught it in a different way. Um, I, I live in Montana and the Wind River High Route is not too far. I've spent some time out there and, um, after doing the Wind River High Route, um, it was such a potent experience for me that I wanted to um, look for for something uh, similar, and mm-hmm. so the Sierra High Route stood out. I'd spent a bunch of time in the Sierras uh, when I was a graduate student, and so um, yeah, it seemed like a, a great way to be out there again. I was going to be working out there anyway this spring, so oh. I was in the vicinity. Well, David, that the Sierra High Route is sort of the sister route of the Wind River High Route, and you were one of the FKT of the Year winners for the Wind River High Route. So you've kind of doubled it up here. I think the only person who's done that. So I have to ask, how would you compare the two? They're so similar because the WRHR is literally modeled after the Sierra. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that was how we created. Let's do the same thing, which is, according to Roper, Go as high as you can without being technical. So it freely leaves trails behind, but it does not want to go to fifth class terrain. So how do these two line up in your Yeah, I my 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 experience of them is very different. I think in my trip report for the Sierra High Route, I even uh, indicate the difference by comparing two songs, both performed by the Kronos Quartet. Uh, the songs are like opposite. But when I did the the Wind River High Route. Uh, it was after it had snowed a couple times, and that just dominated my experience completely. Um, and so, uh, as a result, the Wind River High Route to me feels like it's it was uh, just way more wild, mm. uh, way, way more challenging as far as route finding. Um, I felt way more remote. I saw uh, uh, essentially one party until the very end on that one. 
In contrast, the, the Sierra High route was populated with people along the JMT. Like every 15 minutes, I'd, I'd cross someone. Uh, I think I saw four parties that were doing the Sierra High route. Um, Yosemite happened to be really vacant because of COVID days. It was um, restricted access. So actually the section through Yosemite, I saw almost nobody, which was incredible. Um, and, you know, I, I really like the spirit of these high routes, like you summarized, Buzz. Uh, I think the Sierra high route um, could could leave trails more and stay up uh, yet higher. And I, I think the Wind River high route does that uh, more so um, compared to the Sierra high route. Um, yeah, the Sierra high route is obviously about twice as long. Um, and it, there, it feels more laden with history and civilization because <laughs> the people that are out there revering it in their own different modes. You know, there were some people on horse horses, um, the, the JMTers, the people that were out just scrambling around on their own. It felt very different. Um, well, you are, after all, in California. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Um, how did it actually, how do you go for kind of a reconnaissance of some course like this? You said you were going to be working out in California and mm-hmm. I mean, spend some time in Sierras, but I mean, it's a burly route. It's 197 miles, something like this. So mm-hmm. how do you go for route finding and being confident kind of day, like the year, the day of the attempt? Yeah, that's a good question. I, um, in this case, I did no <laughs> recon. Yeah, I kind of feel like that's not true to the spirit of the of the route and the effort. But Roper's book uh, was a great resource for me. I had been out there uh, literally hundreds of times, and so most of the sections were familiar to me anyway. Um, uh, yeah. So, but for this particular route, I just looked at it on maps. I was working a lot leading up to it, so I just kind of went for it. Um, yeah, I mean, you, took, you took some time off of Lior's uh, record, and he—that was a really stout record. And he's—he spent ample time, I think, you know, knowing that route forwards and backwards. So I—I I was very impressed with this with the FKT, and I think that's why, you know, you were voted number four. Um, got a lot of votes out there. <laughs> I, I think to that point, um, uh, it was because of, of Lior's effort that uh, I was able to shave off some of the recon. He kind of did it for the rest of us. <laughs> His trip report was. Was yeah. really helpful and useful. I really appreciate it, and all the mm-hmm. pictures as well that he mm-hmm. he offers. I mean, it's just it's really generous that he, he puts the time in like that. Yeah. Well, what one of the voters said, David continues to do great things with minimalist style, and this FKT showed the power of a bunch of gels and a meditative flow state. <laughs> oh yeah, actually, speaking oh. of difference of the two routes, uh, the the amount of trail section and. Uh, and the, the number of watershed cross. So the, the Wind River High Rock crosses a watershed boundary uh, that's you know relevant for navigation uh, about nine times. Uh, the, the Sierra High Route uh, crosses a watershed boundary about 55 times. And so <laughs> the attentiveness to to where I was was just really different. Um, and, and I think that the decision making around that uh, led to just uh, this kind of cognizance of, of where I was. Leading up to, it, I had to practice this kind of flow state, and it was. Um, I, I don't know of another route that's that's more designed for for staying in that kind of state than than the Sierra High route. You know, crossing just one road. And uh, yeah, wow, that's I've never heard that, Hillary. That was pretty sharp. <laughs> I mean, look, we should know David is a mathematician. 
And so you've, that is dramatic. I've never heard anyone note the number of times you're crossing a watershed boundary, but that's true. I mean, that's, that's a big mark. And if you miss it, you're going to go down the wrong valley. You make a major navigational yeah. error. Interesting. Yeah, that, you know, you know, even if you're in the dark and you know, which watershed you're in, uh, you know, if you go downhill where you end up. So it's a, it's a great way to organize a landscape. Well, here's what you wrote. I just said what someone else wrote, but you wrote the high route through the Sierras that Roper shared is a gift to and treasure for our particular slice of culture, both literary and in spirit. Wow. And you continued, for me, it offered an elixir of potent experience, unavoidable self-reflection and necessary acute outward observation. We could almost end this this interview right there. I mean, like, wow, let's hit the pause button so we can digest that one. <laughs> yeah, Are you going to write right. like an, an introduction or something to Roper's book? I think that'd be great. I have it. I have it here in my living room. So, <laughs> oh, heavens no. <laughs> <laughs> but can you tell us something? What was your, um, I mean, I think this is actually a hard question, so I'm sorry for asking it, but um, uh, some of your top, um, top experience, I won't ask your favorite, but um, what was something that really stuck with you after uh, doing this route? Yeah, I, I think uh, I'll, I'll say I'll say a couple things. One was um, getting to Miriam Lake. Uh, you know, I had been around it uh, for years, but never actually seen it. I had heard of it, and so seeing the blue of that lake, I mean, it just like it's it stunned me. I I like I, <laughs> I couldn't continue moving. I had to look at it to see why I was so fascinated by it. <laughs> it's this, this wonderful like conduit into like past my intellectual mind into my soul. It just felt so great to see that freaking lake. Uh, <laughs> I, another section was um, coming out of Thousand Island Lake. I was a little bit behind my time frame, and there was a storm coming, and I, I stopped at Thousand Island Lake um, to to consider whether or not to go over uh, by Lake Catherine to go over the Ritter Range. Um, and I there, there was there was weather coming, and I decided to go for it knowing that I'd be traveling in the dark in the section that involved the most route finding. Um, and it had, there had been some precipitation. I knew there was some granite. It was going to be slick. Uh, so I went for it and then ensued the the strongest kind of uh, like delirium of, of the trip. And it was just, uh, it was just so beautiful. <laughs> um, hmm. I hadn't ever connected with that kind of uh, like sort of psychedelic stuff. <laughs> uh, in a way that, that was so positive. Usually it's kind of darker and scarier. Um, so that was a really strong moment. Somehow the navigation just worked out beautifully. And I think that was just because uh, I was not, <laughs> um, I didn't have such a strong will to go any other way than the, the only way there was to go or something. Either that or the navigation is just easy. And I, I, I hyped, hyped it up. And that, the third was, was going over uh, sheep, well, David, David, let's just let me just stay with that one just for a second. You said another quite dramatic thing there. You used in a state of delirium, and you were not unhappy with that, right? So you had you had taken a what one would call legitimately an altered state of consciousness, and you rolled with it, and you framed it in the positive, and you almost used it to your advantage rather than being afraid of it. Is that what I heard yeah, correctly? Like something like that. Yeah. I, I allude to this a little bit in the trip report as well. Um, yeah. It's such a private experience. It's hard for me to even figure out how to talk about it, but yeah, that's a good summary. 
Okay. Well, listeners, we're going to put uh, a link to the trip report then in the written show notes. The, the last, the last. So if you want, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'll go ahead. So, if I just want people to know if they want to hear more about this, I think a very interesting and dramatic way of looking at an outdoor experience in a very challenging terrain. Um, read your trip report. Mm. The, the last highlight was uh, over. Uh, I think it's called Sheep Pass or something like that. Shepherd's Shepherd's Pass. Uh, the, again, I was behind in my time frame, and I, I saw a massive scramble in the dark that I, that I would have to do if I didn't step on it. And the, the will that I somehow conjured was just uh, incredible to watch happen. I, I don't know where it came from. And I got over Shepherd's Pass just before the sunset, and then descended, um, which was uh, which was just really empowering. On the fourth day, to move as quickly as I'd moved the whole trip it was pretty cool. Wow, this is impressive. So if people could read more on the written show notes for this podcast and find links to some of the other things that you've done there, David. That's uh, impressive. An altered state of consciousness that you use consciously to your advantage to get one of the best FKTs of the year done in very good style, I think. Yeah. Well. And now you're off, I believe. It's early Sunday morning. And you're going off, you told me you're going up to the Madison Range. That's right. In northern Montana. Uh, southern Montana. To go skiing. Oh, mm -hmm. southern, that's right. Right. I keep thinking it's just north of Yellowstone sure. Park. Yeah. And uh, meanwhile, I'm watching I Love Lucy Returns on TV. So this is why you are so successful and I am not. So congratulations. Thank you. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I wanted to say I, I appreciate the uh, FKTOY spirit uh, because... I feel like it it serves to kind of uh, uh, disambiguate um, some of the the FKTs that are set out there to celebrate kind of revered routes and efforts on them, um, as opposed to kind of littering the backcountry with brand new lines on maps. So I appreciate the the intention behind it. You like the classic nature do, of it, yeah. Yeah, and I mean something that um, I mean I'm on I I vote for for this kind of thing I'm super I'm I feel very lucky to be able to do so but for me also style is very important so not only the aesthetic of the route and if it you know it's like this classic line but um you know supported unsupported self-supported um my personal favorite is the self-supported or the unsupported mm -hmm. but <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah so I mean I mean I obviously I appreciate you for being able to throw down such an amazing time and effort um in that style too so yeah. Thanks very much, David. Have a good ski trip. And we might be hearing from you in 2021, might we? M might we, yeah. <laughs> it's good to see you both this Sunday morning. <laughs> you too. Bye-bye. Okay, now we're back. We're going to hear from the number three female FKT of the year. We're moving up on that list now, aren't we, Hillary? So what did the number three woman do and who is it? Yeah, so today we have Sarah Hansel. Uh, she's here with us. So I'm going to ask her about her Nolan's 14. Um, so Sarah, thanks for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and so Nolan's, I mean, this route got a ton of attention in Colorado this summer. Um, and you snagged the record, and I'd like to mention um, in the style of an unsupported effort. Um, so do you want to kind of walk us through, for those, for those listeners who don't know what Nolan's is, and um, yeah, just about the route in general and your FKT? Um, so it's a route in the Sawatch Range in Colorado. 
um, and it consists of 14 14ers, and you have to tag the summit of each one, but your route is your choice. So it's kind of a free for all. Um, you have a starting point and an end point. So you start at Blank's Cabin and you end at the fish hatchery or the opposite direction. It's your choice. Um, and then you can take any route you want in between as long as you tag all of the summits. Um, so probably, I'd say maybe half of it's off trail and you're bushwhacking and going up random ridges and stuff and just picking your way the best line that you think is great. Um, and then some of it's on trail if that is convenient. Um, and you have to do it just to finish. You have to finish under 60 hours. So I think I was the, I want to say the fourth woman that's ever even finished the line and the only woman that's ever finished unsupported. Yeah. Um, but there were some awesome ladies that came before me. So huge props to them for getting it done. <laughs> well, and Hillary, awesome that came after me. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like incredible yeah. ones that came after me. We're going to get to that one pretty soon here, Sarah. But Hillary, you're probably thinking the same thing I am. What? Let's check in here with Sarah. Sarah, where do you live? South Carolina. So basically, oh, no, wait, wait, at, hold, hold it. Hold at it, hold sea it. level with no hills. It's completely flat and sandy. Well, <laughs> I, I think Hillary and I are both trying to jump in here and ask you the pertinent question. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> Hillary. I beat you through this it's one. Good. Yeah. So what are you doing, Sarah? So no one's, you know, 1414ers. This is elevation. This is altitude. This is root finding. This is on third class talus. How did a woman from South Carolina go out to Colorado and just crush Nolan's? It took me a while. Um, it's taken me three years. Um, and this was my fourth try. And I'll be honest, I was just thinking of this today. So I train horses in South Carolina. And probably five years ago, I trained this little racehorse and his name was 14er. And I didn't know what that meant. Like I literally didn't know what a 14er was. Um, <laughs> so that was my starting point was I'd never done anything like this before. But when I, I ran out, I ran Leadville. Um, I'm trying to think what year it was. It was the year that Anna and Missy did Nolan's. Um, I just remember being, I was running down on the roads or the power lines or something, looking up at Mount Massive. And I just remember thinking of the girls up there doing these amazing things way up high in the mountains and I was down on some stupid road looking at them and I was just like this isn't what I want to be doing like I want to be up there doing that like I don't even know what that is but that's what I want to be doing and I I don't know I just figured out how to do it I mean it was <laughs> I it was a steep learning curve but I I don't know eventually got there <laughs> Uh, that's like, that's so incredible. I mean, I love that story because I mean, but I mean, even though like Colorado, sometimes people just like scoff, they're like, oh, they're walk up peaks, but still Nolan's is like you said, the majority of it is off trail and you have to know the route, especially not, not only to finish under 60 hours, but to, you know, to link up all the peaks to deal with the sleep de deprivation. Um, did you have any kind of like I mean, oh shit moments when you were, when you were scouting and attempting the route? I had, yeah, I've had a bunch of oh shit moments on Princeton. Um, I remember the first time I went up, I went up the, it was the Southeast Ridge, I think, or maybe just the South Ridge. And you get to that one spot where there's like that tiny bit of scrambling, like there's a wall that you have to get around. And mm -hmm. I didn't know that, like, I didn't know anything about climbing. I didn't know that I could just like, go around the wall I had no idea what I was doing so I'm trying to climb it and I remember 
I went up like a tiny bit and the rocks were loose and I stopped and just started crying. And I called my boyfriend at the time and I'm like, I don't even know how to get off this thing. Like, oh. it's a disaster. And it, I mean, I've probably done Princeton 15 times since then. And like each time it gets a little easier. And by the time I did it this time, I just scooted around that part and it was no problem at all. <laughs> but there definitely were a lot of moments like that. Like, and even coming down some of the loose scree and stuff where you start like a little landslide it was it took me a really long time to get comfortable with that well sarah you mentioned this is your fourth try so yeah obviously you had a few issues here (laughs) um yeah so the first time i did it i'm trying to think what happened the first time oh so the first time i took a bunch of nyquil beforehand and that was a disaster i could not wake up the entire time and I got really sick. So that time I actually, I got to Yale and I felt so sick that I quit on top of Yale, walked back down to Treeline, felt too sick to go all the way back down to Avalanche. So I slept at Treeline, woke up in the morning, sun is shining. I've slept for like 10 hours or something. And I get up to go down and the guy that had been pacing me looks at me. He's like, we're not going down. We just slept on the side of a mountain. Like you're not we didn't sleep up for nothing. And so he made me keep going. So I just did the 60 hours and I got to, I think to Winfield um, when I timed out. And then the next time I tried to go unsupported back, it was in October and I got to Princeton and it was like 50 a mile an hour winds. And they kept knocking me over on that ridge, like literally knocking me to my hands. Um, and so I tried to bail down, I tried to bail down the actual trail and I missed the trail and I ended up going through that gully, like to the right of the trail, which was a disaster. And I ended up just bailing cause it was, it just didn't feel safe. And then last year I did it again, supported and had an amazing run. And then I got to Huron and it was still full of snow. Um, and it was just getting dark. And we actually, you couldn't go up the gully because it was just packed with snow and the top was a little icy. And we had another route to the left that wasn't so bad, but we didn't have the GPX by accident and it was pitch black. So we couldn't find that way. So we tried to go up the gully anyway, but I didn't have, I just had micro spikes. I didn't have like an ax or anything. So we got maybe a hundred feet from the saddle and had to turn around because it just wasn't, it was just too icy and it wasn't safe. So wow. Wow, this that's is, my, that's you, my experience. <laughs> well, this needs to be like a full length magazine feature story, doesn't it? This, I feel like I could write a novel by now. <laughs> I think you should write a novel. Uh, and Hillary, what do you think about that? She comes out from South Carolina, right? On her fourth try after not even knowing what a 14 or was four years previous yeah. and says, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. And then she does it. She crushed it. When yeah. she set the FKT, that was the, uh, you know, an unsupported. But that at the mo- at that point in time, that was the fastest female time period mm-hmm. at that point in time this last summer. Yeah. So that's actually, Buzz, you took the words out of my mouth. Because, I mean, it, it just represents just, you know, devotion to something that you love and something that you're passionate about. And that that's why I, uh, like, I'm so, this, I was so impressed by 
yeah, by her time, by, by just the, the effort, like, you know, obviously this isn't her first rodeo on Nolan. So yeah, she, yeah, Sarah, you crushed it. Like it was, like I said, oh, like, <laughs> by these strong ladies that have come before you to do Nolan's. And I mean, let alone the, the, you know, the, the strong ladies that came after you on Nolan still, um, to do it unsupported in the, in, in that kind of, you know, style and to go super fast on that, on that route is just impressive. Um, yeah. Uh, did you have any like trouble with the, uh, I mean, you mentioned snow, but like any like weather, I know like, uh, Colorado is known for that kind of just like afternoon thunderstorms and all this stuff. Um, I honestly had perfect weather this time. It was one of those runs oh. where like, it was like, I had a bubble around me. <laughs> there would be these huge storms that came right at me and I never got wet the whole time. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was like I was in this magic bubble the whole run. I just, I mean, it was perfect. Oh, that's so cool. yeah, I can't, can't blame the weather for anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. it was time. You deserved it after that attempt. <laughs> I know. I feel, I honestly, I feel like the other times it was like me against the mountains. Like I was trying to conquer them. And this time it was, I felt like they were on my team. Like they they let me through this time and I don't know. It was different. It was really neat. I, I want to read this book. <laughs> yeah. When are you coming out with the book? <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's good. That's good. The, before you were working against them, this time you were working with the mountains. That's for, I, that's profound. I appreciate that. And the fourth try coming out from sea level we're, we're, we're still, Hillary and I are still processing this one, but the voters, you know, gave you number three, you know, you got, I'm in shock. I honestly, I don't know how anybody could even pick. There were just so many incredible adventures. Like I, I was in shock when I saw the list. I'm like, I would give this a 10 way tie. No problem. (laughs) I don't, I can't get any lower than that. (laughs) Yeah. It, it, it It was a hard decision. Um, but yeah, so how do how do you prepare for a route like this? I know obviously you had to you've come out to Colorado several times and you know train there, but how how do you manage that? Like training for a route like this, living at sea level and um, um elite so I, oh, so I live maybe four hours from Mount Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Um and you know Woody Ridge, which is that vertical K. Yep. That's at the start of um Quest for the Crest. So <laughs> this is what I would do. I work basically sun up till sundown with the horses. Um, five days a week. So at home, I'd just like run down the road with my dogs and take them for a swim and run back home. And that was all I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on Saturdays, I'd get up and feed the horses, maybe ride one or two, get in my car, drive four hours to Mitchell and try to get there by noon. And then I, I did this probably five times. I I would go 24 hours on the vertical K <laughs> and oh go overnight. And then I would get in my car, drive four hours home, ride another horse and feed them again and go to bed and go to work in the morning. <laughs> okay. But that was the only <laughs> only way I could get that much gain. Like other years I'd go to the gym and like use a weighted vest on the stairmaster and stuff, but I couldn't go to the gym this year because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And literally there are no hills here. So I was like, I gotta make the most of my weekends and that's the the best thing I came up with. That's, I mean, it worked. It's, that's pretty great. And, and, yeah, and, and it, obviously it's sleep, sleep deprivation training. <laughs> it honestly, I have a really hard time at night and that by like the fourth or fifth time I did that, 
I actually enjoyed being out there at night. Like it really, I think mentally it maybe helped more than physically just to yeah. give me the confidence to keep going and just to be used to doing a 3000 foot climb over and over and over so that it just wasn't a big deal. Oh, wow. That's inspiring. I love that. <laughs> I, I, I do too. Again, I'll, I'll buy the book as soon as it comes out. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. That's really impressive. And your your one-liners are notable. Gosh. They're, they're good. And of course, you're training horses back there in South Carolina. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And I actually, I told you guys I didn't have access to a computer because I was in the mountains. And then I realized, I'm like, well, I don't actually even own a computer. <laughs> Okay. Oh, well, see, this should be mentioned. We're actually talking to Sarah as she's coming back from Mount Mitchell on a on a camping trip. She's parked in a what is a, a Hardee's in in her car in the parking lot. So thank you. I'm, I'm stealing their Wi-Fi. I hope I don't get kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is instructional in more ways than one, isn't it, Hillary? Yeah. <laughs> well, Sarah, thanks again for joining us and pulling over to the side of the road and going to the Hardy's parking lot to catch everybody up on your amazing Nolan's 14 from this summer. Congratulations again. Good job. Oh, thank job. you guys so much. I really appreciate it. I'm very humbled to be on the list. All right. That was amazing. We've heard from people who've done high and long routes and a little shorter, not that short, and fast routes. But now we're going to hear from someone who did the Ora category, the beyond category route that's almost hard to comprehend. So for the number three male FKT of the year, Hillary, who do we have? Drum roll. We have Eric Gilbertson. He's here with us today to talk about the Rocky Mountain Slam. Um, so me looking at this route, I was like, oh my gosh, it, you know, it combines basically, in my opinion, three separate FKT routes into one big route. Um, so Eric, congratulations. And can you tell us a little bit about the Rocky Mountain Slam? Thanks. So this is a challenge to climb all the Colorado 14ers and then the Wyoming 13ers and then the Montana 12ers all in one push. Well, that's a bit, no, isn't it? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no big deal. Really deal. No, no, Hilly, notice how we, we, this is where as podcast hosts, we have to do a good job is Notice how matter of fact Eric was. It was like he spent 60 days climbing the highest 100 in Colorado, which he got the FKT for right there. Then he did the 13ers in Wyoming, which was an FKT in itself. And then he did all the Montana 12s sequentially. And now here's Eric on the line. He's kind of going, yeah, yeah, it's kind of how I spent my summer. <laughs> Yes. I mean, I would like to know um, just what inspired you to go after such a big, a big thing. I was, I was really interested in visiting the most remote areas in the lower 48 states. And this past summer, uh, I, I had originally planned to do something international, but in the, in the lower 48 states, this seemed like the top objective for me. And outside of Washington, it seems like some of the most remote mountains are in Wyoming and Montana. So I really wanted to visit those states. And I really like having like a mission. And so climbing all of the 13ers and 12ers sounded like a good mission. But the, the snow cover is pretty high until mid-July based on previous satellite images. And I was free starting in June. So I also hadn't really done much in Colorado and was pretty excited to climb a lot of 14ers. 
So I figured, what if I link them all up together? Do the do all the 14ers in Colorado, and then when the snow melts out in Wyoming, do all the 13ers in Wyoming, then all the 12ers in Montana. And then the day before I left, I figured, what if I finished a little bit early in Colorado? What am I going to do? So I decided I'd do the Centennials instead. Well, Eric, I'm, this is a good point. I mean, after you've done all 58 of the Colorado 14ers, you might get a little boring there, right? You might just kind of getting a little antsy. So you decided the day before you left to add on 42 more summits. Yeah, I'd originally been pretty conservative timing because I didn't know how the thunderstorms would, would affect me. So I had like a buffer week. And then I figured, what if I just try to be a little bit less conservative? And if I was going to go back and do the centennials, I'd go be, be, end up going back to the same trailheads and doing a lot of the same trails. So it seemed like it would be funner to just do them all at once, the centennials. And it, and it did just barely fit into my window before I needed to go to Wyoming. And so like, let's walk, a, walk me through that. Um, I think... I mean, doing the Centennial Peaks in Colorado, I have I have a couple questions, so I'll deal with one first. <laughs> um, I mean, Colorado has very unreliable weather. I mean, at best, I would describe it that way. So to link, you know, I've experienced snow and sunshine, rain, like wind in the course of, you know, two days. Um, don't forget, oh, don't forget lightning, Hillary. Oh yeah, lightning for sure. You know, everyone's heard the story about people in, you know, the San Juan Mountains and lightning striking and hitting someone's headlamp, um, you know, nearly dying in hard rock. But um, uh, how did you, did you have any trouble with weather? And, you know, it's like, it's kind of a route where you just, you, if you're going for 60 days, you have to commit to it. And so you're going to en- encounter some sort of bad weather. Um, can you walk us through, walk us through that and how nice Colorado was to you with that? <laughs> yeah, I had heard about afternoon thunderstorms in Colorado, but the first like four days I was there were sunny every day. And so I kind of got a little complacent. And then like day five, I think it was on Yale at like 1 p.m. And then it started thundering. And then I started to try to get less complacent and start earlier and um, finish. I would try to get a morning window and an evening window and maybe like do driving in the afternoon early in the early in Colorado. And then in the end, I got crunched for time and I ended up just saying, um, okay, it's going to thunderstorm every day, most likely in the afternoon. So I'll just do my sleeping then and like sleep for two to two hours a day and then just hike through the night and hike the next morning. So the weather wasn't too bad in Colorado. In Wyoming, there was one day where it just rained and thundered all day long. And so that was the rest day in the tent. And then I just had one bad weather day in Montana. So I thought I had the, the weather forecast figured out. Like if it's predicted a thunderstorm, it's going to end by sunset. And so I can just camp wherever. And this happened to be the day I planned a bivy above treeline. And it didn't end by sunset. It just intensified. <laughs> so it was a rain, snow, thunderstorm. This was like the second to last day of the whole trip. So I could only find a boulder that would cover half of me. And I had a bivy sack that wasn't super waterproof. So my legs are sticking out. And then the boulder is actually angled down and was dripping on me all night. So I just did sit-ups all night and kept warm and... That, those were the th- those were the main weather events I can remember. So I was pretty lucky otherwise, other than that. Well, that that was plenty. I, I yeah. more than that would have been maybe too much. And <laughs> so, kids, uh, keep that in mind as techniques from the pros. Do sit ups all night while laying under a boulder if you want to stay warm. Yeah. <laughs> 
this, you know, what I would have done. <laughs> um, but I have another question about kind of comparing. So I haven't done um, many peaks in Wyoming, a few in, in Montana. Um, I've done a lot of peaks in Colorado, but how do you compare um, the, the mountain ranges um, across the states? Because, um, I mean, Colorado, there's a lot of walk-up peaks, but I think it would get a little bit more techie, especially in Wyoming um, and more remote, as you mentioned. Yeah, each state kind of has its own flavor. So Colorado is a lot of elevation gain and a lot of trails to the summits. In Wyoming, it's really remote and not a lot of information and a lot more technical. So all the peaks are, they're mostly at least 20 miles in. And then there's no trails up any of them. And a lot of them have glacier crossings to get to the base. And most of them are third or fourth class and a couple of them are fifth class. And the... Yeah, there's not a whole lot of information, so you kind of have to be do like some adventure climbing. So one of them, for instance, Coven, I, I think that was maybe the crux of Wyoming. The guidebook had like a one sentence description, Southridge fifth class, and then end up getting like quite a few pitches and kind of tricky to figure it out. Oh my God. So Wyoming's kind of tricky. Montana, it seems like most of those peaks, they're off trail and a lot of talus. Hmm. And they're mostly like class two or three. So each day is a little bit different. It kind of makes it neat. Yeah. Interesting. That's interesting. Now, you went with someone for the Wyoming 13ers because I don't think you want to do glacier crossings by yourself. You probably didn't want to do fifth class on Coven by yourself either. Yeah. In Colorado, I did three of the fifth class ones I just rope soloed because it's a really short section. But then Wyoming, it's a lot longer sections of fifth class. So it's a lot better to have a partner and for the glacier crossings too. Gotcha. So Matt, Matt let me join me for uh, 30 of the Wyoming, Wyoming 13 years. Well, good for him. Our listen, One of our voters said the Rocky Mountain Slam, a huge project. I would give him FKT of the year just for the Wyoming 13ers. Uh, few people will really comprehend what was accomplished here. And Hillary and I are trying to comprehend it right now. That's uh, I like the comparison between the three states. They are slightly different flavors. And the listeners can go into our written show notes for this podcast, where I will provide a link to our previous podcast with you, Eric, where you we had more time to talk about the Rocky Mountain Slam. So that'll be linked in the written show notes. Also in your bio, in the show notes, will be a YouTube video, which I was not aware of before. If you would have made this video available to the voters, you might have gotten the number two FKT of the year. Because this shows you juggling seven objects while riding a unicycle. Yeah, I like to uh, juggle rocks and snowballs on the summits of mountains. I think it's pretty fun. So I can juggle seven objects while I'm unicycling. And I think I'm tied with the uh, Russian circus performer for the world record for most objects juggled while unicycling. Well, I bet he did not hike 205 summits in 60 days this summer. So you're tied with a Russian circus performer for juggling, but I don't think he's tied with you <laughs> on hiking uh, 205 summits. Yeah, pro probably not. <laughs> Definitely not, I would think, no. <laughs> and um, yeah, so yeah, we're maybe... You could incorporate some of. I know on your trip report you said that um, you drove to obviously to all of to to link these mountains together and to link to the different states. But some of it you did involve your mountain bike um, to go to off the four wheel drive trailheads. Maybe next time you can involve the unicycle. 
Yeah, unicycle, you get up the trails a little easier than a mountain bike, at least for me. You kind of hop a mountain unicycle up like a pogo stick. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. I don't know if it's too much faster. Made <laughs> funner, though. Oh, yeah, definitely the fun factor. We've got to incorporate that into, you know, the FKT of the year. Um, but can you tell us anything if you have, like, a favorite, um, like, a moment where maybe you kind of questioned your sanity or if you thought about quitting? Because um, this is a like, this is a gnarly route, like 60 days and like very little sleep um, and to kind of keep pushing um, through weather and through all the obstacles. Was there any point where you were like, nah, I don't I don't think I'm going to do this? Uh, yeah, the second to the last day in Montana when I was trying to divvy under that boulder when it was raining and snowing and dripping on me. I was halfway through the night. I was pretty close to just getting up and walking back down. But I was close enough to finishing that I figured I would just tough it out. Yeah, I guess I in Colorado, so. on yeah. Castle Peak, it was like 1 a.m. or something. I hadn't slept in a long time, and I didn't really have the right maps loaded on my phone, so I was kind of off route, and there's no trail, and I was getting a little bit demoralized then. But I was pretty close to finishing then as well, and so that kind of helped me just push through to finish the Colorado ones. Okay, well, 59 days in. Might as well sit underneath that boulder and do a few sit-ups uh, with one day left to go. Eric, this is remarkable. I think we're kind of sort of beginning to understand this. Hillary, are you going to go after the Rocky Mountain Slam this coming summer? Uh, I think no. I think I might, you know, just just uh, revel at, like, at Eric's accomplishment and, you know, do a few peaks and <laughs> hopefully in some of the different states. But, yeah, this is a pretty impressive route. So congrats again, Eric. Well done, Eric, for the number three male FKT of the year. Thank you. Wow. Okay, that wraps up this podcast. And there will be a written article on the website summarizing some of these stuff, some of these things we talked about here. And in that article, or at the end of the article, you can post comments. You can ask questions, and you could make comments that you observed, just like we did. And you can also offer your guesses of who will be the number two and the number one FKT of the year award winners. And that will be in our podcast being released a week from today on January 8th. So go to the website, read the article, make a comment if you'd like, and go to the written show notes here if you want to see the YouTube of Eric juggling while riding a unicycle and everyone else's bio who is on this podcast. Wow. So next week, Hillary, number two and the number ones. Are you, uh, you going to be with us? Yeah, I can't wait to kind of unveil everything. Um, I feel really lucky to be able to vote for the FKT of the year. And I think a lot of people have taken, there's a lot of voters and a lot of people have taken a lot of time to um, to research and to kind of look at all of the, um, the nominations for the FKT of the year award and so I think it's a really good representation of the community and the different styles, whether it's supported, unsupported, um, or self-supported. Like you mentioned, long, super long, um, or short and fast. So, yeah, I'm really excited to to unveil the the one and two as well as you know everything that we've talked about um, for the top five nominations on the men and the women's side. Thanks very much, Hillary, and thank you everyone who spent their time to be on this podcast and for the voters like you said hillary took their time to research this and again everybody was a winner 
you know, it's uh, how, how do you separate this out? As one person said, actually one of our top 10 winners said, this would have been a top 10 tie if I was the one voting. And I think that's true. It's fun to hear from everybody.